You know, as Americans, we're very, very blessed. Today, I sit on this stage living in one of the, I believe, the greatest country in the world. And I serve an amazing God who loves me deeply. We wanted to show you that video not to get us all somber and reflective and sad, but to not forget just how blessed we are. And we wanted to take a few minutes right now to say thank you to a handful of people who over the last few weeks have identified themselves. We have discovered that we have several first responders. These are policemen, firemen, people who are working ambulances, EMTs, emergency rooms. And if that is you in our congregation, if you do any of those things, or if you currently are in our armed services or in our reserved corps, would you please stand right where you are? We would just like to say thank you to you in this congregation. Anybody in here? I know we have about eight or nine. Okay, nobody currently in the room. That's fine. Let me tell you what we're going to do as a church for them. We can't. Oh, we have one. I am right, right back there. Thank you. We identified about eight of those a couple weeks ago, and here's what we're going to do. We can't, we really can't put into words the gratitude we feel. We, we look at images like the ones on the screen that just played, and our hearts swell for the folks who lost so much, and we're reminded of people like you who serve us so diligently and faithfully. We are grateful. We can't repay you fully. What we wanted to do was to give you a moment of respite, a moment of, of a break. So what we did, it might sound cheesy, but it reflects our hearts, okay? We got together a few movie passes for you and your family, and we wanted you to go out and spend some time not worrying about us. So sometime when you're not on call and you don't have the little radio right here, come sit in this room, enjoy a movie on us. We really, really appreciate you. Now, I have been watching, like many of you, a lot of the remembrances of 9-11, also knowing that I had a message to prepare um, where I wanted us to not simply look on the past and remember, I wanted us to look forward. I wanted us to look forward and to think about, contemplate for a few minutes here this morning, God's perspective. Not necessarily God's perspective on all the questions we could be asking, like, why do these kinds of things happen? That, that's a fair question. We've dealt with that question here. It's a, it's a tough question to deal with. Why do bad things happen to good people is a fair question. I want us, though, to consider practically what is it we can walk away with as an individual, maybe corporately as a church, as we think on these things and as we look towards the future. I've had lots of time alone and lots of time recovering as I struggled with some kidney stones over the last couple weeks. Thank you, Jesus. They are gone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, Praise God. It'll make anybody a Pentecostal when those things are gone, man. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Dancing around, raising your hands. Anyway, um, I, I've had lots of times to read and reflect, and I came across a verse in Psalm chapter 90. Now, we're not going to necessarily go there, but I want to use it as an overarching verse. Because Moses, who wrote this psalm for us, it was recorded over time, preserved, and put into our Bible in the book of Psalms, has one little verse in Psalm chapter 90 at verse 12 that I think sets an umbrella over top of the video we saw, the events 10 years ago, and everything we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. Here's what he said. He said, teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thousands of years ago, a thousand years before Jesus, Moses was with a group of people, not unlike us. 
they had a lot in common. They all had a common heritage, but they were wildly diverse in terms of age, understanding, ability, skills, spiritual temperament. They were wildly diverse, and God tasked him with leading these people from a position of bondage to a position of freedom. They literally had a journey to make. And somewhere while they were on that journey, God moved on Moses' heart, and he wrote down a prayer. He wrote down some hopes and ambitions he had for that group of people that he had dedicated his life to, that they would experience all that God had for them. That they wouldn't live trapped in the past. They wouldn't let what others had said about them keep them where they were. They would move forward into all that God had for them. And while he was in that mode, with his heart full of love for these people, with his heart full of God's impression on him in the moment, he wrote these words. Teach us to number our days, number them correctly, number them aright, number them with right perspective. Teach us to understand our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I'm talking to you today about how important time is and how there are these events in our life that once they happen, we know things are never quite going to be the same after they've occurred. I've made a few references around here. It's still a big deal in our home. But we've sent our first child, my first and only daughter, off to college recently. It's a big deal still in our house. I, I, I try not to harass her, but the texting and the calling, it's, it's, it's all I can do to stay connected. But I remember, I remember the first time Jill and I got a little head knowledge that this event was coming. It was the very first day of school. And the three of us gathered and took pictures and put her little book pack on her and backpack holding her books. And, and, and there were tears and there was just some sobbing. And I remember looking at Jill saying, honey, if you don't stop that, you're going to scare Ellen to death. But we got our first little glimpse of what it was going to be like way out further. And I remember, I remember on that day saying, oh, I've got to make sure in the few years I have left before she's gone out of here, I've got to make sure that I do what I need to do, spend the time, make the investment, be the man that God's called me to be because time's moving forward. Things are happening, things I can't ever redeem. We can't go fully back. I wasn't using Moses' words, but the sentiment was the same. God, teach me to number my days aright, to understand how precious the passage of time is, that we cannot go back. Everybody in this room, I guarantee it, you've had thoughts like I have. Wouldn't it be great to be able to go back in time and undo some serious point of life? To rethink a decision, to undo the effects of some decisions we made that we didn't fully understand at the time. And Moses says, look, there are going to be these times in life that we come to, and they're big deals. They're going to leave you changed. And he was trying to impress on the people that God had put on his heart, that he was trying to move them towards freedom. He's trying to impress on them just how important time is. You already know this. You already know how important time is. I mean, you've already experienced in your life, many of you in your body like me, the passage of time. I'm telling you, getting old stinks on some real level. Things, you know... <laughs> I, I, I've noticed that I have hair growing where it never grew before as I've gotten older. And where it used to grow, it's 
stopped kind of growing as much. It's a getting old stinks. Things that gravity seemed to have no effect on now, it's having an effect, friends. Getting old is not the greatest thing in the world. Moses, well, I'm trying to be a little funny here. Moses is wanting us to remember that this is a big deal. And we don't have to live, here's here's my hope for you today. We don't have to live captive to the passage of time. We don't have to live simply as victims to the events of the times of our lives. We serve an amazing God whose heart for us is huge. He loves us. Many of you had great fathers and mothers and relatives around you. Some of you didn't. And for those of you who didn't, this is going to be hard for you to understand. But God is an amazing father. He loves deeply. All the heart that your earthly father had for you, maybe he didn't have, but you wished he had for you. Your heavenly father is that times 10, times 100, times 1,000. And he wants nothing more for you than for you to redeem the days he's given you. Here's what he knows that you don't know. He knows exactly how many days you have, how many days you've already spent, And how many days you have left. And he knows all the major and minor things that are going to be happening to you and me in our days on the days we have left. So here he has this vantage point of eternity where he can look down into our time and space. And he's trying to break through to us in his word. I think he's trying to break through to us sometimes in events like the ones we just reflected on. In moments like first days of school and sending people off to colleges and weddings and broken arms. I think he's trying to break through to us and remind us how precious and important and significant this thing called time is. None of us can get it back. We all spend it at the same rate. So what I want to do for the next couple minutes is I want to take you before I get to my real passage today down a little exercise in logic. And I want to help you remember things that you already know for just a few minutes. I want to, if you'll let me, I want us to get so ready to hear God's word by the time we get about halfway through the message today that when we hear God's word finally on this issue of time from the New Testament, that it pierces our hearts. I don't want to overstate, but I think God's going to speak to some of you today. I do. I think you're going to get insight and wisdom today. And it's not going to come from what I said because nothing I'm going to say today you haven't already known. Oh, you may have known it in different words, but you already know this. But God's going to take what we know and he's going to couple it with his word, his inspired, divine, perfect word. And he's going to speak to us. And for some of us today, without any exaggeration, It's going to be life-changing. You're going to make decisions today that are not going to be unlike decisions you made in the past. But the difference today is going to be you're actually going to get up and do something with the decision you make. But before we get there, i got to tell you, I have some news for you that may not make you feel all that great. Hang with me. Today is a day of hope. But often we remember hope most in the shadow of discouragement and in the shadow of disappointment. So if you have a pen, go ahead and pull one out. In fact, if you don't have anything to write on, there was a pen and a piece of paper. And I actually just have my 
offering envelope. Now, these are brand new offering envelopes, so don't like ruin them all, but take one out. We're willing to make a heavy investment in you to give you an offering envelope to take notes on today, all right? Take some notes in the white space of this envelope. I have three statements today about time that you already know, but I want us to remember for a few minutes so that our hearts are ready to hear God's word. Here's the first one. Small amounts of focused time has cumulative impact on our life. It sounds complicated, but I promise you this is very simple. But write it down. Small amounts of focused time has a cumulative impact on our lives. One more time. Small amounts of focused time has cumulative impact on our lives. Let me illustrate this. Let me illustrate it in a way that is the most obvious example I can think of, and yet I'm so not wanting to do this. You you know this principle in life when it comes to exercise. I know it too. I just don't exercise. I know that I can get all excited about exercising, and I could go spend four hours in the gym. All right, four hours. I've never done that, but I could. I could spend four hours in the gym, and after four hours in the gym, I could come out, walk around, get up on this stage, and give a sermon. And the four hours I spent in the gym will have been intense. They might have been perfectly trained. As I listened to my trainer, they might have been perfectly focused. I may have sweated, but in four hours of intense exercise, one time between this Sunday and next Sunday, if I get on this stage, none of you are going to walk up to me and go, wow. What a difference. You are felt. You are chipped. You, you are cut, Ben. None of you will do that. None of you will do that. And that bothers me. I would love to be able to give massive amounts of time when I feel like it to important things and get immediate payback. What Moses was trying to get the children of Israel... What the Apostle Paul in a few minutes is going to try to get us to understand is that it is not the large chunks of time given occasionally or when we feel like it that make the biggest differences in our lives on anything important. It is the small amounts of time, focused, intentional, disciplined, self-controlled over time that has an amazing cumulative impact on our lives. If I would spend 30 minutes a day, five days a week in the gym doing the exercises I need to do for my specific body weight and program, over the weeks, months, and years to follow, it would have an amazing cumulative impact on, our, on my life. Every one of you know this. You may not know this, but I have a secret dream. I would love to be a world-class piano player. I know pianos aren't cool instruments anymore. All the girls are attracted to guys with guitars. I know. I know. But I have always, but you know what? I don't want to be a world-class piano player enough to sit down and practice every day or every other day. I'm victim to something I know. I'm holding myself back because I'm not living in the reality, even though I know it's true and you know it's true, that small amounts of focused time, small increments over time, have an amazing cumulative effect on our lives. It's true in every area of life. 
every area of life. It's true with your weight. It's true with practicing instruments. It's true with studies. In fact, if you're a parent right now, I'm giving you full permission to have this conversation in a modified form with your kids, and you can tell them it's your idea. Listen to this. In your studies, it's not the person who parties all semester long and two days before final exams decides they're going to spend 48 hours cramming, trying to read everything, finish the few final assignments, gather the entire wisdom of and information of the class, and bring it to bear on their minds. Those aren't the people who consistently perform well academically. It's the ones who live by the principle of time that none of us are ever going to be able to break, even though we exempt ourselves individually all the time. It's the person, it's the girl, it's the guy who <laughs> spends 20 minutes a day on the subject that's the hardest and maybe 10 minutes a day on the subjects they do okay with every day, five days a week. And they do it all semester long. And when this final exam comes, they're ready. Now, let, let, let me bring this down a little bit, real life. See, I'm not just talking about time management. I'm talking about a spiritual principle that Moses was trying to get the children of Israel who were on a journey. They were struggling with the bondages of what it meant to be slaves. They were struggling with an identity crisis. They had only been called slaves for generations. Every mother who had a child, it didn't matter what her hopes and dreams and aspirations for that kid was. The only thing that mattered was when he or she got old enough, they would be carrying bricks. Moses, on the journey from slavery to freedom, to the life, to the land of milk and honey that God wanted for them, Moses said, it's important for you and for I, specifically for them, but for us as well, to understand the time and the impact that time has. You know, this is true spiritually as well. Before I unpack that for you, Jill and I have a friend, his name is Alan, and he lives in London, and Alan is a fireman in London. I've known a few firemen in my life. They fascinate me. There's a, there's a bravery there. There's a, there's a machismo there that I just I like it. I, I might be a fireman one day. I've got all kinds of goals I haven't explored fully. But anyway, I, I'm impressed with Alan. One day, we got to, uh, last summer, we actually got to go to see Alan, and we went to his firehouse, and he gave us, like, the grand tour. And you, you know this. I, I listen, I don't have any new wisdom for you today. I just want to prepare your hearts to hear what God wants to speak to you. Alan walked us around the firehouse, and he showed us his fire trucks, these awesome Mercedes fire, they have Mercedes fire trucks in London, and, and, and these massive machines. And then he began to pull out the drawers and unlock compartments and show us all the organization and all. And so I said to him, what do you do when there's not a fire? He said, well, we're always busy. We're always checking the equipment, double-checking the equipment, making sure that mechanically we're sound, making sure everything's in place. We spend our time getting ready for the thing. Be, and then, listen to these words. Because we know when the emergency strikes, we had our 9-11. They had their issues just a few months after that in the tunnels with explosions in, in their underground system. We know that when the emergency happens... You don't have time then to cram and get it all ready because if you do that, you've wasted all the precious time that you need at a moment of intensity. So what you do, he said, is you don't just sit around and play games and cook for each other. We do a little bit of that. But what you do is you set up a rotation so that all the little, they all seem little. 
all the little things get the attention they deserve in time so that when the big stuff comes, we're ready. Let me give you another one. Some of you in the room play poker. That's okay. We don't peddle in guilt here. No condemnation. Do you know what happens? If you will take the game, I, somebody told me this, I don't play, but if you would take the game and if you will over time stack up a few chips, when you get the hand, because you've taken time over the course of the game to stack up the chips, when you get that good hand, the ace king suited, right? When you get the pocket aces, when you get the hand, if you've taken time to accumulate, you are in a leveraged position. You can control the board. But if you have not had a good string of luck or you haven't played well and you have an amazing hand, but you haven't taken time to accumulate the chips, if you haven't played conservatively, what happens is when the time comes, you're not prepared. You can't fully leverage the opportunity you have. The opportunity comes and goes, and you may have seen small gains, but you haven't seen anything like the gain you could have had if you had fully leveraged the principle that I'm trying to talk to you about today, that small things done over time in a focused way has not incremental impact on our life. It has cumulative, exponential impact on our lives. You get yourself ready for the big moments. It happens in relationships. Some of your marriages today, like right now, are in trouble, not because of some gross affair, not because somebody is at the core of their heart, selfish and unloving, but there simply has been an absence of small investments of focused time over time in the relationships. And you're going through life together depleted, not because any one of you are all that bad of people. You just haven't invested what you need to invest over time. And some of you have made the mistake of thinking that if you don't do little increments, what you'll do instead is like my exercise plan. You'll feel guilty one day, and then you'll pour, pour massive amounts of energy, massive amounts of resources emotionally, massive amounts of money, and trying to create an impact event that you hope will make up for all the time in the past. And it doesn't. Not to say that those events aren't great. They're, they're wonderful. But they don't make up for years of my second principle I'd like to tell you about. The first principle is a small investments of time. Focus time has cumulative impact. But the second principle is this. Neglect has impact too. Write that down. You know this, but you're going to need to share this with someone. Neglect has impact too. In the exact same way. Over time, in fact, some of you are dealing with, with your parents right now. Some of your parents have spent the last 20, 30 years not taking care of their bodies. And now here, the weight of their neglect is now impacting not only them, but the people around them. Some of you, it's with your parents, and it's not with their physical bodies. It's with their financial shape. And they have not set back small amounts of money, focused, intentional, over the life of their income earning. And now here they are at this stage of life. And they can't realize all the potential that they have. And you see it. Parents, you see this in your kids, don't you? We are very good at seeing these two principles worked out 
in every sphere of life and almost everybody else. But we have a hard time remembering the raw principle of time that says it's not the big chunks. It is the small amounts of focused time over time that gives us the deep life satisfying freedom that God wants for us. And if we leverage it, it's powerful. It's like compounding interest. And if we neglect it, it's powerful. It's like compounding interest on a loan that won't go away. You know this. Nothing new. But let me, let me share you one more thing that maybe you haven't quite thought of or put into words yet before we look at God's word. Not only does small amounts of time over time have profound impact on our lives, not only does neglect have profound, neglect over time have profound impact, but all the things that we did to consume our time while we should have been investing in the important things. If you take all of those things that you did when you should have been studying, getting ready to keep your GPA where it needed to be so that you could keep the scholarship, get into the school, get accepted in the grad program, all the stuff you did instead, if you took all of those things up and stacked them up in a pile and assigned a value to them, this plus this plus this, and you added all of that up, the grand sum total of all the things we did instead of, instead of making small investments over time is at or near zero. All the time that I decided I would sleep in instead of working out gives me some immediate gratification, but it doesn't necessarily add up to any cumulative impact on my life. All the time that Jill and I, over the course of our life, here are two people with business degrees, an MBA, accounting skill and understanding, and we spent the first 10 years of our life being idiots with our money, not honoring God with our giving, being stupid about our spending, not holding anything back. All of that stupidity, all the stuff we did with our money instead, we had a few little toys and a few common experiences. But when you stack up all the things we did instead of the things we should have been doing, the grand sum total of all of that junk is junk. And here was Moses in the desert wanting people to experience all the freedom that God had for them. And he says, listen to me, your prayer should be God. Teach us to value our days because, because we need your wisdom, God, on this stuff. It's like we can know something, but it doesn't impact us. You ever noticed this, these principles I'm talking about? If you, if you don't exercise and try to do it all at once, it doesn't have impact. But, but here's something else that's true on the positive side. If you are a regular exerciser, and some of you are, but you decide one day to eat an extra dessert. One day of eating an extra dessert doesn't make that big of a difference in your life because you have stacked up days, weeks, months of good practice over time. One day, men, of staying late at the office occasionally and working through dinner instead of coming home and building a relationship with your kids and wife, one or two days here and there, no, no big deal. Because you have stacked up relationship and conversations in real time with people. One or two days of missing your time with God in Bible reading and in prayer 
If you have a disciplined habit of making small investments over time and spending time with God, one or two days missed here or there doesn't affect you. If you have a regular habit of getting together with other believers in Jesus and worshiping in an environment like this or being in a small group, you miss one or two cycles of that. It doesn't have that big of an impact on you. But you got to have accumulated the wealth of that experience over time, small increments focused over time, building up the pile. Like my, like my fireman friend, getting the equipment fully ready to operate at a moment's notice. When you do that, you, you can relax a little bit here and there. Even it works both ways. Not a single person who went to work in the towers on 9-11 knew that that was the day that their day was going to be numbered, that their life was going to be numbered. That they were coming to the end of a, of a long stream of living, breathing, eating, and interacting. And the funny thing is, is we think about that but we don't realize that we're in the exact same situation. You cannot and I cannot neglect over time the important things and expect it all to come to the end of our days and magically things just work out well. It doesn't happen that way. Let me tell you what happens instead. Parents are estranged from their kids. They don't know them. They don't know their heart's desires. They don't know the way God's wired them up. I see this all the time when I used to teach high school and serve as a chaplain in a a Christian school. Parents would come to me in my office in tears and they would say things like this. You know, when they were 10 or 11, they were the greatest kids in the world. They always did what I told them to do. And when I had to discipline them, it went really well. But something happened when they turned 13. I, I knew what happened most of the time without trying to be judgmental at all. There wasn't focused, intentional time over time. And I'm not talking about hours a day. I'm talking about minutes a day in building a relationship of trust and mutual understanding and, and adding to the moral authority that a dad or a mom is supposed to play in the house so that when that kid came to a moment when hormones were raging and opportunities shifted and loyalties begin to move along a continuum from family to friends, there wasn't anything to go to. There's no chips left in the pile. Now, if you were God, And you loved your kids. I mean, you loved them. You loved them so much you sent your son to die for them. You loved them so much that you haven't withheld any good gift from them. You loved them so much that you gave them advanced notice of many of the kinds of challenges they were going to face in life in a book called the Bible. And you providentially secured the keeping of this book over time through many challenges and difficulties. And if you loved them so much that you regularly put people in their life that would speak truth into their life, What do you think a God like that would like for us to know and understand and do with time? Now, I'm going to tell you. In your Bibles, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, a thousand years after Moses, wrestling with the same challenge of how do you get people to move from bondage to freedom? How do you get them to do it? It's the same challenge every parent experiences. How do I get my kid to understand this right now is important? They don't believe it is because there's no immediate consequence when they don't study tonight. The consequence isn't going to come for a couple months when they get their grade, and they can't connect the two. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says this on the screen behind me. Be very careful then how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise. Now, in the Greek, let me unpack this for you. It means this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, or as wise, but as wise. There's no hidden message here. There's no deeper meaning. The deep stuff in this particular lesson of life and on the scripture that is deeply spiritual is right on the surface. And Paul is saying, don't be an idiot. Look around you, see the idiots, and choose not to be one. Look into your own life and see where you've already not lived out the principle, not heeded the warning, and immediately stop and go a new way. The Bible calls that repent. You're heading in one direction, turn and go the other. And then he says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. I'm, I'm reading here from, from the NIV translation of the Bible. And what they're trying to get us to understand here with that phrase, making the most of every opportunity is this. It's how deep important this is. Literally, in the original language of the Bible Greek, it says redeeming the time. Now, redeeming is an accounting term. It simply means to exchange something for something of equal value. We redeem the good with the money. It, it wasn't originally a spiritual term. It was a term of accounting and commerce. Redeem the time. Use your time for the things that you believe God has called you to, the things that your Heavenly Father wants for you. So every pastor that ever encouraged you to make sure that you put in place the discipline of church attendance, it wasn't for him or her to pod their pocketbooks or to get some kind of ego boost by more people being in seats than there are empty seats. Which they had lived long enough, most of them, to observe people who loved God but couldn't get this principle right and didn't make investments over time to add to that account, to grow cumulatively in God. And every youth pastor, small group leader who said, pray about this thing. They weren't trying to pass the buck so they didn't have to help you get through it. They were trying to get you to make regular investments on the important things in life into your own spiritual investment, your own spiritual destiny, the freedom and the love and the joy that God has for you so that you could experience it. Because they knew, each one of them knew, they could not do it for you. Just like you can't do it for your kids, you can't do it for your spouse, you can't do it for your neighbor. Each person has to do what they're going to do with the time that God's given them. Making the most of every opportunity. Now listen to this next line. This is the kinds of stuff you only hear in church. Because the days are evil. Listen to me, friends. The culture is not bent to get you where God wants you to go. You immerse yourself in culture and you neglect immersing yourself in small increments of time into the things of God. Over time, you will not end up in the place that God wants you to be. That's not Ben trying to beat anybody up with judgmentalism. I'm just telling you the gospel truth. You immerse yourself in the thought processes of this world. You cover yourself over with all of the free time. And listen, if you spend all of your free time clicking away at the computer, immersing yourself in images and ideas that run counter to God's plan for marriage and integrity, you will not end up with integrity at the end of your days. No matter how much you want it, 
You have to make small increments over time. You can't even do it in one fell swoop. Because this world is bent against the things of God and against God's heart for you. Because the days are evil. Then he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is a phrase we need to recapture at Four Corners. The Lord's will. See, I care what you think. I do. I spend a large portion of my week trying to understand where our congregation is. I I care what my wife and my kids think. I spend a lot of time trying to understand the dynamics of my home. But in all of our lives, if we don't elevate what God thinks above everything else, we're screwed. You are screwed. If you don't put God's will above your own, you will never get to the things that you yourself would choose for yourself. We've got to elevate God's will above everything else. So is it all gloom and doom? Absolutely not. See, some of you would say, Ben, I am right there, but I just lack discipline. I just lack discipline. I am with you, bro. I get it. I, I, I get it, sis. I do. I get it. I, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You may not understand this, but the Bible talks a lot about discipline, except it doesn't call it discipline. It calls it self-control. See, discipline is nice. I just like discipline. Self-control is like the knife stuck in your gut and then it's twisted. It's uh. In the Greek, the word self-control means to control yourself. It means that that you do what you need to do now in small increments over time to get you to those places that God would have you go. And while I was talking, God brought something to your mind. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed with all the things. Some of you are wired. You came in here beat down, and you're wired, and right now you just feel a mountain of shoulds and oughts. Listen to me. That is not God's plan for you. But he also doesn't want you to leave here feeling happy and free. And what he wants you to do is to contemplate the time. So rather than being swallowed over by all kinds of stuff, what if you and I made a decision this week that we're going to pick one important thing? One, you already know what it is. Listen to me. You already know what it is. One important thing. And instead of putting it off like we have, instead of engaging it in large chunks here and there, we're going to give small, incremental, focused time over time to the one thing. For some of you, it is your marriage. For some of you, it is your weight, your body, your shape. For some of you, it's your academics. It's a, I don't know. Some of you, honestly, listen to me. For a lot of us, it's just time with God. What is it? Don't let the enemy pour on guilt on you right now. But also, don't put off what God would have you do. And engage one thing this week and begin to turn the ship around. I don't know how many days you have left. You don't know how many days you have left. Only God does. And he says, no matter whether it's one or 50 or or, or 300, or you live to your 70, 80, or 90, redeem every one of them. Find one thing this week. Grab out your connect card and let's pray about this. I've got a couple of steps for us to take together. Here's some good news, friends. 
That little word self-control while you're getting things out, you may not know this, but that's called one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says that the fruit of God's work in us, the Holy Spirit, it sounds spooky, but it just means God's life in us. The fruit of that is that God comes in and he helps us with the stuff he wants. You don't have to be alone on this. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God says that if you need help with that, he'll help you. But you've got to have a relationship with him. So I think there might be some people in this room today who need to next step A, right up there on the back of your connect card, is get into a relationship with Jesus. We say it this way, to make Jesus your savior, the forgiver of your past, and the Lord of your life, which simply means he's the leader and you're the follower. He forgives and then he leads. If you want to do that, God says he'll come in with you, give you his spirit, and he'll help move you forward. You'll still have to work hard, but he'll help you. If you want to receive Jesus as your savior today, check that box. I'm going to lead you in a prayer about that where you simply basically say this, God, I need you. I want you to lead my life. I'm sorry for my sin, and I receive the life you have for me. Here's next step B. Some of you need to be baptized on October 2nd and take that next step in your relationship and let that be a public proclamation of what is the desire of your heart that you want God to be first. And then you need to pick up your Bible and read it. You need to get in a small group. You need to begin to pray Pick one of those and engage it with diligence and self-control. Next step C. I left this one vague on purpose because we have some amazing things coming up. But if you think that you want to take advantage of some opportunities for growth that we're going to offer, check that box and we'll keep you on the cutting edge of information as we roll out some amazing things that God has directed our church to do to help you grow spiritually. And then finally, next step D, I want to join a Four Corners small group. In your cup holder are catalogs. You can go online and sign up. You simply put the number of the small group you want to sign up for right there on your Connect card. You drop it in your offering bucket when the offering bucket comes by later on in the service. Right now we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to make us people who redeem the time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I can't help when I think about 9-11, about all the people, and they had no idea what was coming. God, I'm so grateful that there were a group of men and women who were prepared on a moment's notice to rush in and lend assistance. But God, that didn't just happen accidentally. They had readied themselves over months and years. God, I get an amazing, profound sense that you have for us a life that we can't even imagine. God, we don't we don't believe that we're going to trip and stumble into that. We want to be people that you've called us to be. People who redeem the time. People who give small increments of time to the things that are important now, regularly, every day. And we want to experience the cumulative effect of all that you have for us. God, I lift up each person who made a decision to follow you. They said with their heart, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Lead my life. Take over charge. I'll follow you. God, I pray for all of us in this room who have maybe some thinking to do, but definitely a decision or two to make. God, help us to weed out the silliness and focus on your truth. I pray it in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, strong son of God. Amen and amen. I want to to invite you all to stand up as we continue to worship.